oh my gosh, I've got the shivers thinking about all those science fiction movies I set in during my youth. Every Saturday I would go to the movies and it seemed like the only things they would show were the cowboy and Indian movies, the war movies being shortly after World War II and just before the Korean War. And then they would also have the science fiction movies, which I waited for and just loved. The... Um, I loved it came from outer space. I loved the blob. I loved the she-demons. Those were like, oh my gosh, I just lived for them. Um, and last week, I saw one of my favorite genres, a, a science fiction movie called Jim the Film. I went to the premiere here in New York City at Quad Cinemas, which is one of the top independent film houses in the world and this weekend they're having the premiere of Jim the film out in Los Angeles I have the distinct pleasure of talking today to the two principals in the film the husband and wife team the Morris Burke team Jeremy and Vanessa I'm so excited that both of you are here with me today thank you very much for having us yeah thank you Colin and uh, I know I was at the premiere last week and I want to tell you I've seen it again I took some friends of mine and the movie is just spectacular but Jeremy the one thing that I noticed before we get into the story itself was how the movie looks the intensity of the color the shadows the, the, the way the light portrays the movie I mean it reminded me so much of the kind of creepy crawly movies I grew up with and I feel that the color and that the light added a lot to that was there a reason for the, for this intensity of color well there was in that that uh, you know the, the film is divided into kind of two distinct storylines one which is more present day uh, and another which is this very distant uh, dystopian future, and what I really wanted to do was to was to make those two things so visually distinct. Uh, you know, the the dystopian future has this very uh, even though there is color in it, it's uh, it's all of this very kind of muted, you know, desolate kind of palette. You know, the the palette of decayed concrete and decayed industrial society, uh, and I thought that you know that would be such a great uh, a great juxtaposition against you know the world of the title character Jim, this present day world with you know the lushness of his surroundings. Uh, you know he lives kind of in this you know semi suburban, semi rural uh, house in the film uh, in the Midwest, which uh, which is kind of surrounded by this this somewhat lush uh, landscape of trees and pastures. Uh, it's it you know the idea was that for parts of the film it would be uh, his 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 sanctuary and his his you know place away from the the harshness of the world, but then at other times it can also have this very isolating effect. Uh, but I think that those those color choices were were a way of really really punching up the different you know the, the kind of visceral differences between these two worlds. Well, and I know that you actually went back and forth from the, from the the, the uh, muted color to the really intense color which i love so much and also actual black and white and each time that the color itself would shift my feeling would shift and of course that was all part of the of the of the process from the start to the finish what i really love about the movie one of the things i really love is that i had no idea what was going on you know so many movies that i see today have such weak scripts and they have so many you know computer generated images and sounds and all that that uh, sometimes they're coming at me su at such rapid fire I don't even know what's going on but what I liked about this film one of the many things I liked was that even though there was script and there there was great dialogue I didn't know quite where this was going and of course as it goes along it, uh, I start to feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride where as the movie gets closer and closer to, to revealing its true self uh, I had gone through all the senses of the build-up to the excitement phase, and then, of course, it has a great big slap-in-the-face ending, which I'm not going to divulge because I don't think that would be fair to the audiences. But 
this is your brainchild, correct? Yes. You yes, it was. Uh, uh, it's been in it's been in my head for a very long time, uh, and then it's been trying to get out of my head for a very long time. <laughs> Well, the, the, some of the things that it touches on, which is the decay of the, of the human spirit and, and the uh, raping of the planet that we live on, I think those things are genuine concerns of, of, of many of us. And you certainly have a message in this film, a very, very strong message, uh, which reminds me some ways of uh, in my youth there was Jane Fonda doing all of those message films and of course they called her Hanoi Jane and uh, the country, many people in the country didn't like her uh, sometimes the person that holds a mirror up to to our society is <laughs> is risking maybe some um, criticism, harsh criticism of, of his own have you had any of that fallout? Like, Jeremy, what are you trying to say to us? Yes, there has been, uh, you know, some of the reviews have been very positive and some have been somewhat mixed. I mean, we've gotten some great feedback after some of the showings with the Q&A with the audience. And to me, that is the, kind of the ultimate bottom line, is if the people in the audience are connecting with it and they're sort of getting what the themes are as opposed to just feeling confused or like they don't know what the message was supposed to be, uh, that to me means that we've we've done what I hoped to do, which is to you know to put these themes out there and get people hopefully talking about it. Uh, I think that probably uh, probably one of the most common uh, criticisms, or maybe maybe I should say one of the most difficult kind of challenges of the film, is that it takes on quite quite a lot of different what I think are very pressing issues of the day uh, and and also what I think those issues might lead to in the future and I think that in some ways that that might be a little off-putting uh, or you know people might might feel like it's 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 a little too much like we tried to squeeze too much into the film uh, and I guess my answer to that would be that first of all I think everyone in some way has a sense that there are there are a number of sort of major issues in in our world right now uh, that are all very complex and uh, which are all sort of bearing down simultaneously. And in this country, you know, some aspects of the film deal with uh, the kind of financial problems that so many people are facing, losing their homes, problems with health care, uh, not coming through when when you think it's going to. All these sort of sort of kind of foundational aspects of, of our society that that for for many people it feels like have been just kicked out from under them uh, and then and then in addition to that there's this coming kind of renaissance of of technologies you know uh, through the kind of biotechnical side of things which will uh, you know which will give us quite a bit of power to manipulate uh, some some very fundamental parts of our our own human bodies and and possibly our own you know our human souls uh, whatever your definition of that might be and what I really hoped to do with this film was to show maybe a context that was familiar to people uh, who have been dealing with these issues and who have felt these things happening uh, to create a context within which these these sorts of technologies will emerge into the world uh, you know to try and get at what will hopefully uh, be a way of, of of thinking about these uh, these sort of potential pitfalls of all this technology within the framework of where we are now and and what people now are going through. Well, I mean, yes. The in order for anything like science fiction to work, there has to be a piece of it that's in our reality, and the film. Jim, the film, really has a big dose of our current reality. The lead character, Jim, as you say, is a man who is really down on his luck. Um, he cannot get a job. He cannot even get an interview. And then, ultimately, he becomes very angry, and he turns on himself to a degree, and he also turns on those people who won't even give him a decent interview. And I know in my own world... Uh, 
I have the same thing going on with many of my friends and many of my clients who have reached a certain age and they cannot even get an interview. So I think we can all relate to Jim. Either we have been Jim or we know someone who is Jim and then how he's dealing with it. Now, tell me a little bit about Jim and I want to get around to Vanessa who plays the wife of Jim. But... uh, this character, Jim, clearly is someone or people that you can personally relate to. Am I correct? Yeah, to me, Jim, uh, the character is is in some ways a composite, uh, not just of, of people that I have known personally in my life, but but also of, of people that uh, that I haven't known. But, but you know, I mean, some of it obviously has come out of my imagination and is kind of an extension on on you know those those sort of aspects of those people but I think that that most of most of that character uh, is is really a composite of people that I've known who have been dealing with you know with these sort of huge issues in their lives for quite a while um, and I think that uh, you know my hope was that I would create a character in Jim that people like you said would be able to relate to uh, I think there's enough in there uh, you know, he goes through quite a lot in the film, so I think there's probably a lot of sort of opportunity for for someone to find something familiar, uh, just because of the kind of breadth of the you know the challenges he faces. Uh, but yes, he was he's very much based on you know a lot of observation and and discussion and and ultimately going through some of these issues with people that I've known for a long time and uh, and love family and friends. Uh, so uh, so I think. You know the points where he does have you know resonance for people. I think it's because probably he he really is based on real things. Well, I certainly got angry right along with him. I too wanted to lash out at the, at the at some of the people that he was coming into contact with who really treated him like less than even a human being. And when we get back from this break, I want to dig deeper into your mind that created Jim, the film, and I also want to talk to Vanessa about her role in this film, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. The definition of guru is to lead from darkness to light, and one who is regarded as having great knowledge, wisdom, and authority in a certain area, and who uses it to guide others. Join us on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Where Is My Guru show, where gurus from the areas of art, travel, creative activism, wellness, and the spa share their infinite wisdom and maybe a glass of wine. Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Hear Women Talk Radio. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife, Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari Jeep Tour. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa. Featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. 
Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. I'm here today talking to Jeremy Morris Burke about his new film, Jim the Film, which premieres tonight in Los Angeles, and last week it premiered in New York City. And Jim, Jim, I've got Jim on the mind. Jeremy, uh, you're so much a part of the film that I'm getting your names just like interchangeable, although your character is nothing like, like Jim. I mean, you're real. <laughs> Never mind. When the movie opens, there's this kind of creepy commercial. It actually feels like a commercial, and then, and then it isn't until a little bit later that I realized it was really a part of the movie. And it's a commercial for a company called Lorigen. How did you come up with this, and, and tell me about its significance to the film? Well, the commercial idea, uh, you know, and, and and by extension, we've also created some some other kind of fake commercials for the company, as well as a company website, uh, which you can reach at lorigenengineering.com, uh, which is that you know th- this is the film that uh, or this is the company that is kind of behind you know the sort of genetic biotech aspect of of the story uh, that you know where Jim actually goes to to sort of get get help. Uh, securing securing his legacy uh, when everything has kind of fallen apart for himself by creating you know creating a child who will be able to overcome the obstacles that he's dealt with in his life um, you know and part of the idea for that commercial was just at the very beginning of the movie simply to establish its presence in the world that you know this all looks like our present day uh, you know kind of reality but at the same time there's this there's this sort of new there's this sort of new age of, of genetic enhancements hovering in the background. Uh, and there are actually other points in the film where that commercial kind of shows up, mostly in audio or sort of off screen, but just to kind of, uh, just to kind of keep it, keep it present in the background. And then of course later in the film it comes out quite a bit into the foreground. Uh, and part of the idea behind the commercial is not just as a way of, of very succinctly trying to establish what this company is and what they offer, but also it allows the opportunity to create this kind of meta narrative that uh, that that describes how this sort of thing might look when it actually starts to happen. And you know, some of the feedback online as the commercial has gone out uh, that has been interesting is you know people have commented with things like you know I wonder I wonder how long it'll be before we really start seeing commercials like this on television. And you know, I tried to I tried to kind of uh, pull it you know pull the the contents of the commercial and. You know, and, and the sort of flow of it from you know other pharmaceutical ads and uh, things that I think are familiar to us in in the kind of biomedical world already. So that again, it would all have it would all be rooted in a reality that that we could that we could uh, almost imagine as being here now. Uh, so that was you know that was the original idea behind uh, behind that commercial. Well, you know, Jeremy, about six weeks ago, I posted that commercial on my Facebook page, and I'm, I can tell you that most people who responded to it believed it was a real commercial, and they would say things like, oh my God, what next, or what is this world coming through, or I've heard it all, and then I would write <laughs> back and say, well, I'm going to take big blue eyes. <laughs> Bushy blonde hair, <laughs> a very well, thin waist, and a thick wallet. But uh, <laughs> they were so disappointed when they found out it was just a figment of your imagination. But, <laughs> but well, I think that in some ways what that what that speaks to, you know. Uh, while sure, I'd love to take credit for you know for the uh, uh, the believability of the commercial. I think it speaks more to the fact that. There is a sort of sense out there among most people of the kind of inevitability of this that it's almost like people sort of take for granted that it's going to happen and it's a question of when and exactly how. And so the reaction to that commercial is kind of a, well, uh, even though, all right, so I don't believe that this is real uh, and I know it's not supposed to be, but wow, this really looks like what, you know, how long is it going to be before we really start seeing this, you know, on television, these kinds of ads? And, uh, you know, there's never a debate, <laughs> it seems, about whether it will happen. It's more about when and how. And I think that that's something that's, uh, you know, an interesting, uh, 
you know, kind of interesting discovery in terms of the feedback is that there almost seems to be this this sense of inevitability of this 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 type of enhancement happening. Well, and <clears throat> I know that uh, you know there's another very important role in this film, and it's the it's the wife of Jim, and in choosing the actor to play the wife, I know that Vanessa your wife ended up in that role but Vanessa is a very serious actor I mean I've seen Vanessa in things as varied as a as a little night music uh, and then she did an off-Broadway show a couple of years ago that was totally different it was called Betty and the Bell Rays where she played sort of like a Motown singer and uh what was that show that you did with the people living underneath the pier uh, oh West Pier West Pier, right. <laughs> and she had a part in that. Now, of course, she's your wife, but I felt that Vanessa was absolutely perfect for this part. And Vanessa, you're with us, correct? Yes. The, did you find playing this this part of the movie was really challenging because it, it felt like that was a really challenging role? It was. I mean, there was some... Um some rather emotional things that, that the character that my character had to go through. Um, she deals with a significant illness in the film, and uh, it, it, just working in the medium of film itself was new to me. Uh, whereas, you know, when you're on stage, you kind of have the whole play to maybe work up to those things, or everything that happens in the world of the play has already happened to you, and so it makes sense if you're very upset about something. But in, in film you have to do it on the spot immediately and you have to do it maybe 15 times in a row. And so I'm sure you've heard this before of people um, uh, with challenges in terms of acting in film versus theater. And I would say that was the the most challenging part. I mean, the character itself, because, uh, you know, Jeremy is originally from St. Louis and we shot a lot of the film in St. Louis. Uh, and I've come to know the people there, um, and it was really it's been really eye-opening for me over the last you know nine or ten years to kind of familiarize myself with the people in the Midwest. I mean, because I grew up in New Jersey, I grew up on the East Coast, and um, just the whole world of Jim was a was something that I had uh, the you know the world of Jim that Jeremy wrote was something that I had become more familiar with as I've gotten to know these people. And so the character itself, um, the character herself, was more familiar to me than I think it would have been if I had just walked onto the set not knowing Jeremy, not knowing not knowing what it was like and the, the hardships that, that these people face in, in their jobs and in their lives. Well, and I, I think that's a very important uh, subject, is the differences of... of People in the in various parts of the of the country. I've lived in the South. I've lived in the in the Midwest, and I've lived on the East Coast. And we might as well be from three different planets, uh, because whatever they call that, the sensibilities of each area. I mean, here on the East Coast, we're more in tune to which shoe to wear with which dress, and many people in, in parts of our country are more concerned with getting the shoe and the dress who are having a very hard time just eking out a living. And I think that you portrayed this Midwestern wife, my experience with, with the Midwest, beautifully. Uh, your character is a tragic character, although there are moments of great joy and happiness. I mean, I I wonder how Jeremy felt about directing you in a very passionate love scene with Jim. Was that difficult for you, Jeremy? Well, it was a strange moment for all of us. Uh, you know, we basically, it was there were four of us in the room, Vanessa and Dan and myself, and then, of course, our sound recordist uh, had to be in the room. But we kept, you know, we kept the set fairly quiet and private for that uh, you know because we knew that, that it would be it would be a strange moment uh, for me you know the the biggest thing was of course that I you know I trust and love Vanessa very much uh, and I also feel that way about Dan he and I have gotten to know each other very well throughout the process of making this film and you know we spent a lot of time Talking about the the role that he was playing, well, you know, way before we ever shot anything, 
Uh, so I think by the time we got to that moment, there was a level of trust and uh, uh, and and sort of knowledge of each other in the room that that helped that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, it's still a very strange thing. Uh, it's you know, it's a very intimate and personal moment, and you know, uh, I think part of it is that because I was shooting a lot of the film myself, I kind of had the camera between myself and what was actually happening. So there's that maybe that layer of removal. Uh, you know, but it's it's a difficult thing because on the one hand, obviously what you want is for that intimacy to come through and you want it to be believable and you have to believe that these two people uh, love each other and care about each other and, and you know, that's, that's sort of what sets the stakes of the film. Uh, if you don't get that sense, then nothing else uh, really works. And so... So yeah, it was, uh, you know, we had to definitely kind of get ourselves to a place of comfort, you know, before doing this, but, uh, but you know, I think the level of professionalism of uh, Dan and Vanessa was great. Uh, Dan especially has a great sense of humor and a way of, uh, you know, just at the sort of most tense moment, you know, he can crack a joke that will make everybody sort of laugh and break the tension, and I think that, that helps uh, a little bit. So... Um, you know, I think too that <laughs> some of these scenes, you know, are very emotional and gut wrenching. Uh, that you know that, that Vanessa has to portray Susan in some very difficult situations. And I do remember her at one point. You know, we were getting ready for one of the hardest scenes in the whole thing uh, from that perspective. And I, you know, I came up to her and she was sort of pacing the hallway and she was getting more and more upset and more. And, and I was starting to get upset. You know, I thought, oh, is you know something wrong? Have I done something wrong on set? That's upset her? Is she nervous about the scene? I kept sort of pacing behind her and, you know, are you, are you okay, honey? Are you okay? And finally she turned around and she's like, listen, okay, I'm about to do this incredibly difficult scene and I'm trying to work myself up to it, so just leave me alone. Actually, I think I said, Jerry, just go get the camera. Just go get the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, yeah, of course. And, I, you know, I thought, oh, what a what a stupid thing. <laughs> I didn't even get the fact that she was just working herself up for the moment. And, uh, uh, and so I ran and grabbed the camera and we did a, a few takes and, you know, uh, we only had to do a couple, uh, you know, I mean, I felt like after that first take, you know, we had it and Vanessa said, well, I'd like to try to, you know, another one or two and, and so we did and, uh, uh, but, <laughs> but it was a very funny moment where I realized, uh, you know, going back to what Vanessa said about having to jump right into these, you know, these sort of emotionally traumatic moments, uh, you know, where in theater you would have a whole play to build up to that. Uh, you don't always have that in film, and, and especially given that Vanessa was also a producer on the project, there were times when, you know, it could be uh, Vanessa was ironing a costume for somebody for the next scene, and then would, would have to run into the room to. And so we tried very hard to separate all those things and make sure that there was enough time, uh, you know, to 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 get to the appropriate uh, em emotional place uh, that was required for the scene. Well. They worked beautifully, and uh, we've got to take another break, but when we get back, we're going to talk more with Jeremy and Vanessa Morris-Burke about Jim the Film. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa, featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit Myrtle MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. That's galore. 
Visit our store at 4822 Highway 17 at Barefoot Landing. We have the largest source of hats in the greater Grand Strand area. Tilly, Stetson, Indiana Jones, Wallaroo, Top Hats, Mad Hatter, Derbies, Felts, Fedoras, Cowboy, Golfer, Driver, Life is Good. We carry a large selection of women's fashion hats as well as Red Hat Society hats. We also have an assortment of umbrellas, canes, and walking sticks. Hats Galore, located at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach. We are the best source for hats in the Grand Strand area. Hats Galore at Barefoot.com. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. I'm back with Jeremy and Vanessa Morris-Burke. We're talking about their collaboration on the film, Jim the Film, which opened last Saturday, uh, last Friday here in New York City for a one-week run at the Quad Cinema, and now it's been held over for a second week. It's had great word-of-mouth um, reviews, and people are sort of like storming the theater. And tonight, you're opening in Los Angeles, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, after you are open in Los Angeles, is it going to then open in other cities around the country? Yes, it's actually showing uh, at a, a small horror and sci-fi festival this weekend in, uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, just a single screening, but then... Uh, we're going on to the St. Louis Film Festival in November. Uh, I think, too, that, you know, part of this just comes down to the kind of, you know, showbiz aspect of the film business that I think uh, there are a number of theaters that have, you know, have seen screeners and, and you know, have seen some of, the, some of the positive reviews. And I think that the sort of last thing they were hoping to see was uh, how we did, you know, in our New York opening uh, and so, you know, basically once, once we're up and running here in L.A., which is where we're putting all of our, you know, our energy and focus on right now, uh, you know, starting Monday morning, I think that, you know, the distributor uh, on the film will be able to, uh, you know, to revisit some of those different theaters now with, and, and really make a strong case and, uh, you know, and we'll be able to begin uh, setting up a lot of those dates in other cities. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, I think ultimately that'll be, that'll be great. Well, talk about a labor of love. I mean, you've gone into this business of of, uh, of making movies when big studios can sort of like control the movies, what's being seen, where they're being shown. I mean, you've entered sort of what's a monopoly with, uh, you know, a limited budget on making the movie, on... On, a re- on getting the movie out into the theaters, so you've let me get this right. You re- you wrote the script, you produced the movie, you directed the movie, you cast the movie. Now you're PR doing the PR for the movie, and you're trying to get uh, it released into theaters around the country. So you've really taken on a whole lot. Am I making you tired? Yes, uh, I've yes. <laughs> we do. Luckily, we have help on on the distribution, and uh, we were very fortunate in that. You know, I, I actually completed the film, uh, and by completed, I mean there came a day when I said I'm not touching this anymore, <laughs> uh, because you could always tinker. Uh, but I completed the film in January, and uh, I sort of sent out. You know, I broke one of the kind of cardinal rules uh, of distribution, which is you know you never send out screeners directly to distributors because A, there's a good chance they'll never watch them and B, uh, it's not always the best environment for a distributor to watch a film uh, meaning that, you know, you never know if the person is just watching it on their laptop while they vacuum their house or, you know, make a phone call or or if they're giving it a really serious uh, look Um, but, you know, we've done so many other unconventional things and I, I sort of didn't know what our other options were so I sent it out to a couple of, you know, fairly well known uh, distributors that I had read about, you know, either in industry trades or seen at, you know, some of these, you know, sort of filmmaker conferences that were keynote speakers, and uh, and we got a response very quickly, actually, within a couple of weeks. Um, you know, th- there was some interest from a couple of different distributors, and uh, so we actually were able to hear out their ideas on getting the film out into the world, uh, and that now is really the the biggest 
you know, the biggest challenge we face is how do you take a small film like this that doesn't have name actors, that is kind of a, you know, from a typical film point of view, is a little strange in its unconventional uh, story structure, uh, and, you know, and then not having uh, any any real money, uh, you know, in, in terms of buying advertising or really getting the word out, how do you create, you know, some sort of awareness that you even exist, and that's been... Uh, that's been the biggest challenge in all of this. Uh, but, but, you know, as you said, you know, we were held over at the quad, which means that there were enough people who had heard about the film and come to see it. And, you know, that's been very encouraging, uh, you know, on the, on the kind of the business side of it. Well, you know, I mean, I made some comparisons with your film and films I grew up with. But uh, in recent years, I, I have to make some comparisons with your film also. I, me- I rem- remember the Blair Witch Project, which was a little independent film that went on to be a major film, and there's one out now that another friend of mine has produced, Ariel Schulman, did Catfish, which is uh, a documentary film, and just through word of mouth, these films have made it really big. And that I see that happening right now with Jim the film. The, the word is spreading. I mean, my friends that I took love the film. They're now promoting the film to their friends, and you're getting a, like a, a lot of support here and a lot, a lot of buzz going. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm part of the Zeus radio network, and I'm one of many shows, and one of the great shows we have here on the Hear Women Talk site for Zeus Radio Network is uh, a show called Two Chicks and a Flick and there are resident movie critics and I understand that they have joined us and that they are going to give us some feedback about how they feel about the movie. Are you there Diana and Alyssa? Hi, Hi. Colin. Are there. Hi well, Colin. Uh, it's great you. Nice to talk to you too. I am l- wild about your show, and I listen to it. Oh, Thank you. Nicole, and it's Alisa. Alisa. Oh. Alisa and Diane. So, okay. We need to tell you that we have not seen the film. Here we are in LA, and now it's opening here tonight. What we have seen. Where? Oh, by the way, sorry. Where is it? What theater? Where is it going to be playing here tonight? Uh, it will be at the Sunset Five, the Lemley Sunset Five. Okay, great, Lemley. That's great. We, we can get there, and um, we were, but we are so intrigued by the trailer. Uh, yeah, brings up lots of questions yes. for us about. Um, we're really curious about your own uh, inspiration in terms of other films and what in your own yeah. influences. Yeah, what are they? Uh, what comes? Well, I I love. Uh, you know, I love almost anything by uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, or Werner uh, Herzog. I mean, I think those—they uh, are both—they're both masters of, you know, of the visual form. I think that what I love about both of them is that it's very hard to define them uh, as filmmakers by genre or by type. Uh, but at the same time, you always know one of their films when you see it. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, yeah. Just to break in, just the other night, I watched, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was a film, it was a Stanley Kubrick 1956 movie oh. around the race, horse races, and it was a film noir. And it, but it was it was film noir, but it was Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, and I, I wish I could get the name. It was on Turner Classic uh, Movies. The Killing, I, I think. Totally, would, excuse me. I believe it's The Killing. Yes, I. That was magnificent. Yeah, so that, that's wonderful. So your influences, we haven't, you know, we did see the, your trailer. It looks fascinating yes, to us. And, and, and as you said, it, it, it really, it, it, it's about something we think is going to happen, but there are so many possibilities of how it will play out. Yeah. But it looks like it, it's speaking in terms of having a, a unique voice as an auteur, it does look from at least the way your um, your clip is edited that you yourself have quite a distinctive uh, look and feel to your film. That's probably a signature to you. Is that correct? Were you were you intentionally trying to create your own visual language? 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in that sense, especially the fact that it's my first film, in, in, in many ways, almost every aspect of it was kind of an experiment. Uh, and that I hadn't done it before, so I didn't know, you know, uh, I didn't know, oh, this is the way a film set is run, this is the way a shot like this should be composed. And so a lot of it was kind of figuring things out, you know, about what it was we were trying to get across, and then and then attempting to uh, to find whatever the visual aspect of that was that uh, that seemed to support it, but also to try and give it all a cohesiveness, um, you know, right. to give the film overall a unity, you know, which was, you know, doubly difficult given the fact that there are these kind of dual narratives uh, intertwined and, and they're so different. Uh, so, so that was that was the hard part. And, uh, and I, you know, all I can say through that is that it was all very much an experiment. <laughs> Right, because sometimes that's when, you know, you get the most interesting work is when you you, you don't yeah. have a full understanding of how to do it, and you can experiment and be free enough to discover something new. Yeah, that was that was yeah. definitely uh, what I had hoped for in making the film, and I hope, you know, I hope that comes through uh, for some people when they see it, and I think that, uh, you know, it's definitely a much more exhilarating and interesting way of working as an artist. Uh, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see if after the success of this first film, when you get a bigger budget, how you'll approach your next film. Do you have any ideas on how you would do that? Are you well, going to stick like to the genre? Uh, you know, I, it's, it's hard to say uh, in the sense that, I mean, this has a very much, you know, it has a sci-fi component to it. It also has a dramatic component uh, one right. reviewer said it also had a romantic component, and uh, I mean, he named like three or four different genres, which, which to oh. me, you know, is the kind of thing that might confuse some people or turn them off. But, uh, but that that same uh, that same mix of genres might actually be the thing that entices other people. So, you know, ultimately, I think right. my goal as a filmmaker is is to make the thing that I hope to make and make it as close to my you know the vision in my head as I can get. Uh, and then put it out there and, and 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 really find the people who respond to it. And not everyone will, and that's fine. Uh, Absolutely. I feel like, you know, if everyone loves what you're doing, you're probably not making anything that interesting from an artistic standpoint. So, <laughs> how close did you get to achieving your own vision on this film? Well, it's been so long; it's hard to remember. Uh, I, I think very close. I mean, a lot of what I had in my head. I mean, you discover things as you're shooting. And as, you know, once once it gets out of your head and onto the page and then, in, you know, actors start bringing it to life and locations uh, begin defining right. the thing visually, I think, uh, you know, what, I think, you know, in terms of the sort of broad vision, I think it, I think it came out in a lot of ways very much like I had hoped. And, and then there are some things that, you know, I would certainly do differently uh, next time, but that's all part of the learning process. Can you edit it and edit it and... Re-edit it and edit it forever. We could, you know, it's like it's like your baby. Yeah. I mean, I, it would be hard to let your first baby go. <laughs> I have a question. Speaking of editing, um, I, I, you know, we haven't seen it, but I did see from the trailer that you have a. Well, it looks like you know fairly sophisticated special effects. I'm wondering how you accomplished that. Uh, all of those I did myself, basically on a computer in my <laughs> office. Uh, you know, and I again, it was kind of some trial and error, uh, you know, really reading up and studying, you know, other people's work and techniques and trying to stay a couple of steps ahead of myself in the process. Uh, you know, I'd be learning, like, as I was editing, I was also doing a lot of reading and learning about the visual effects. You know, even though I had a picture in my head of how I wanted to do them, uh, I needed to figure out the actual mechanics of getting getting that onto the screen. And so that was something that uh, was kind of an ongoing learning process. Uh, and it was really, it was really keep you know uh, taking what I had known as a designer and some of the techniques I had learned you know doing renderings and things and applying those and then building on them until until I felt like visually I had I had gotten to the point that I you know that I uh, that I wanted you know for the thing to to, to be visual. Well, I want to thank Elisa and Diana for joining us today. Uh, you can hear their shows archived as, long, as, as well as mine on the hearwomentalk.com site, and you can pick up 
two chicks in a flick every week live when they review a new movie each week and hopefully they'll get out to see Jeremy's and it will be an upcoming review on their show we'll be right back with more of with Jeremy and Vanessa Morris Burke and the new film Jim the film Hi, this is Jessica Dorvage, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. The definition of guru is to lead from darkness to light, and one who is regarded as having great knowledge, wisdom, and authority in a certain area, and who uses it to guide others. Join us on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Where Is My Guru show, where gurus from the areas of art, travel, creative activism, wellness, and the spa share their infinite wisdom and maybe a glass of wine. Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Hear Women Talk Radio. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife, Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari Jeep Tour. Attention boppers, shaggers, and swingers, join us at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for the fast-paced excitement of the Swing Syndicate. Study the swing styles of Jitterbug, Double Time, Lindy, West Coast, East Coast, and Show. Sure to be a big hit on the Grand Strand. That's the Swing Syndicate Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach, 1030 Possum Trot Road, Wednesdays, 7 o'clock. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies. And you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. I'm having a great conversation today with two of my favorite people about one of my favorite topics, the movies, and in particular, science fiction movies. I have Jeremy and Vanessa Morris-Burke with me today. And Vanessa, I know that you were the co-producer of this movie as well as being the lead Actor, well, the lead female actor in your role as Susan. How do, is it that you were able to take on such responsibilities as producing and starring in the movie? Well, I would say it was <laughs> initially it was just out of necessity because uh, we were on such a shoestring that uh, obviously Jeremy wore a, a lot of hats as we've already discussed, and then I wore the other hat. <laughs> so, um, and I have to give some uh, some uh, credit also to our executive producer Christina Santner Burke, who also happens to be my mom. Uh, she was not able to join us today, but she she was a great help to me, especially when we were shooting the scenes uh, with Jim and his wife Susan, because it helped uh, to take some of the pressure off me with with uh, the producer duties that I had. Um, it was. Uh, I actually was a little concerned before we began filming that the acting would suffer because there was so much to do on the producing end in terms of helping Jeremy uh, solidify the crew and the cast, uh, but I was also the point person for the costumes for that entire part of the movie and the catering and uh, just basic production management. So um, we we got to St. Louis a few days before the filming and I, I kind of... I don't know if I should tell you this, but I realized that I, I hadn't learned any of my lines. <laughs> so, <Not> I, <laughs> so I shut myself in a room for an afternoon and told, uh, you know, hung a, hung a do not disturb sign on the door, and I didn't let anyone come in. And once I finally had that under my belt, then I knew it would be okay. Uh, that and that I was working with Dan Illion, who played Jim, uh, whom Jeremy and I knew from our days producing some theater. And uh, Dan just brings so much to the table uh, that it uh, that it makes your job infinitely easier if you're working with him. And so, uh, so it was a bit of a a juggle. Uh, I won't lie, but um, so we were all juggling a lot of things. And I would say that the the spirit of the crew um, uh, was really something that helped with the whole thing because everybody was pitching and everybody just wanted to make this project happen. And so when you have that behind you, um, I think you can't 
you can't help but succeed because everybody, you know, felt like this was a little movie that could and they wanted to do whatever they could. And I said to Jeremy every morning, I can't believe they came back. <laughs> but they did. They came back every day and they put in so much work um, that it really, it made it all possible. You know, and so the groundwork that, that Jeremy and and uh, Christina and I had laid uh, was really put then into effect by by the crew that we had, um, primarily in St. Louis. Um, and I think that's really what, what made it all possible because at a certain point I had to relinquish control uh, and just be on set. And, um, and Jeremy definitely helped with that in finessing the two roles for me too. And we just tried to take the pressure off each other where we could, but... We did often find ourselves loading or unloading a, a truck of, of large and heavy equipment almost every night <laughs> and wondering how that had happened. <laughs> and so when we both had to be on set at, at you know, 7 a.m. and I had to not have bags under my eyes, it did make it a bit more of a challenge. But well, overall, it, it, was kind of, it was kind of fun. It was. Uh, I did feel a little invincible at the end of it because some crazy shenanigans happened on this set. I, I know we don't have time to go into it today, but let me just tell you that the behind the scenes of this film are rather entertaining. <laughs> well, I I feel like I was part of the film because I've I was certainly you and Jeremy are such good friends of mine, and I you you sort of let me in on the whole journey. But one thing I I really had to laugh about was when you and Christina Zantner. Loaded up part of uh, part of your New Jersey home and transported it out out to St. Louis, and there the two of you were pulling this. <laughs> what did you have behind you that you were pulling halfway across the country? Just to you oh, and we your had, mother. What was it, Jeremy? The giant U-Haul trailer. trailer. <laughs> and Jeremy had driven across, you know, halfway across the country with one of those just a week before us. I mean, we brought everything but the kitchen sink out there. We even brought a, a stove and a fridge for set pieces. I mean, it, <laughs> it was definitely a group effort. Um, definitely grassroots. <laughs> well, I mean, we you talk about the little film, but I have to tell you, this looks like a big, major production to me. And, you know, just visually, it's spectacular. And, uh, you know, Jeremy's experience as a theatrical lighting designer clearly plays a big role in the way this movie looks uh, you know I'm, I'm a visual person and when something looks beautiful I can really enjoy it that much more and I have to say the, the movie is just gorgeous to look at it's a very powerful movie it's a very powerful message it's like wake up world kind of message I hope this movie continues to get the kind of buzz all over the country that it's getting in New York and Los Angeles and that more and more people can see this be entertained and take home a very valuable message from this film I want to thank both of you so much for joining me today I know this is such a big day you preparing for your, your premiere tonight in Los Angeles and I wish you continued good luck and I hope you can join me next week also because I've got another great guest Jennifer Wilkov who was put in Rikers Island prison for a crime she had not commit but while she was in that prison the power of a woman Jennifer Wilkoff wrote a book which became a national bestseller and met the man of her dreams who was waiting for her at the gate when they released the gate to Rikers Island and set her free that great story next week and listen to our great story Jim the film on archives the Colin Lively show hear women talk for the Zeus radio network